Sometimes the best way to launch a digital subscription is to launch a physical subscription first. Even if you plan to scale with a virtual business model, you can learn so much more about your customer value proposition and messaging by starting the old-fashioned way, in person. That's the approach Zubin Bete used in launching Fuzzy. Today, Fuzzy's pet parents get round-the-clock access to exceptional virtual veterinary care, as well as wellness products for their pet's health needs. But when Zubin and his co-founder launched the company in 2016, they recruited and served their pet parents in person. Starting slow allowed Fuzzy to crack the product market fit code and scale rapidly, raising over $80 million in the process. Full disclosure, I've been involved with Fuzzy since the beginning and think Fuzzy is one of the most thoughtful membership economy organizations I've ever worked with. In this conversation, Zubin and I reflect on Fuzzy's humble beginnings in San Francisco dog parks and pet parent living rooms, explore the path to profitability, and discuss the right metrics at each stage. Welcome to the show, Zubin. Thanks for having me, Robbie. This has been a long time coming. I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, I've been chasing you for a while, really wanting to get you onto the show. I think you have a lot to share in terms of your story and also in terms of the really thoughtful way you think about the relationship you have with your subscribers and members and how that's evolved over time. I wanted to start by asking you to take us back to 2016 when you and I first met. You and your business partner, Eric Palm, had an ambitious vision, a forever promise that you wanted to make to pet parents people that had pets at home. Can you share that starting point and kind of what you guys were thinking about and what your promise was? Absolutely. It's probably worth going back to why we really excited about building a business in this category in the first place. And then what we unpacked from the relationships that we were building with pet parents that really made it very clear why this was something that we cared deeply about. And so Both Eric and I, we'd known each other for almost 10 years when we decided to start a business together. And both of us had realized that we benefited profoundly from the impact that pets had in our lives. And to my story specifically, I'm a nomad, right? I grew up in South Africa. I left when I was 15 years old. And when in my last company, I was practically living in three different countries at the same time. I lived in San Francisco, Amsterdam, and Hong Kong. And so being that nomad, I got asked frequently, where is home? Where do you feel like home? And for me, I would say, I feel at home when I'm around where my dog is. And that was something that really hit me. It's what made me feel like I belonged, like something was relying on me, right? And there's so many pet parents out there that have that realization. Most people where for the first time in their lives, they have this living, breathing thing that is relying on them for their existence. And so for us, we realized that there was a gap for pet parents where they just felt lost and confused when it came to kind of how to care for that living, breathing thing. And for us, we realized that in most instances, we will outlive our pets. Unfortunately, pets have an average lifespan of, let's say, 10 to 15 years. These are dogs and cats, mostly? Dogs and cats, yeah. So depending on the breed as well. So on average, larger breeds, 7 to 10 years, smaller breeds of dogs, 12 to 14 years, cats can be 15 to 20 years. But The reality that hit us was that there was scope and ability to be able to extend the lives of pets through better care. And we've seen all the research around humans and how healthier lives, healthier behaviors, et cetera, led to longevity. And we wanted to empower pet parents to be able to do the same. So fundamentally, we want to empower pet parents to give them control along their pet care journey 
to help them extend the lives of their pets and give their pets a better quality of life. And that meant that the relationships that we have with our pet parents last years and years. Yeah. So what's really interesting is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but originally it was sort of all pet parents for the entire life of their pets, everything possible to help with longevity, which is a really big and ambitious vision for what you guys were trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Since then, we've obviously recognized the key areas that we can really add value to pet parents and where we really deliver value and drive better engagement and lead to better outcomes. So we started off with this big, huge, ambitious vision. We haven't shifted from that ambitious vision, but we've really gotten clear around where we fit in along that pet care journey and how we can better empower pet parents. Yeah. And I think this is really important. A lot of businesses, especially in the subscription and membership space, where the vision is an ongoing goal that the member is trying to achieve, in your case, optimal health and longevity for their pet, you start with a big vision and then you kind of have to take a step back and say, where's the place to start? Where is the greatest need that we are best able to engage with these people on this long journey? I mean, I remember having many conversations with you early on. Can you talk a little bit about some of the questions that you had to answer you and Eric, in those early days to figure out where is the best place to start, who the audience was and what your promise was or what you were able to provide with? That's a great question. And early on, we went through a lot of experimentation. But I think what was really key for us in the early days was that we went out and spoke to as many pet parents as we could. In the very earliest days of Fuzzy, Eric and I would, at 6 and 7 a.m., go to local dog parks in San Francisco, in the Bay Area in general, and speak to as many pet parents as we possibly could and understand what their pain points were, how they felt about their pet care journey, what the moments of delight were, what their moments of pain and anxiety were, and through understanding what their moments of pain, anxiety, or stress were, we were able to uncover the key areas that were unserved at that point in time. And we could really address an existing need that wasn't being addressed by the existing kind of infrastructure or care delivery mechanism or ecosystem as it was at that point in time. And so those things really laid bare that if you think about the earliest stages of pet parenting, when we spoke to every pet parent, what we heard was everyone we spoke to felt like they were going it alone. Everyone that we spoke to that felt like there wasn't a guide or anyone to help them through the journey. Now think about it. When you're getting ready to welcome a baby into your home and recently gone through this experience, There's this huge support network and infrastructure, right? You have family, friends that have had kids, you have relatives, you have doulas, you have doctors, you have books, you have videos. I mean, there's clubs that new parent clubs that they get all the October baby parents gather. Absolutely. Right. And all of that provides a supporting network around you, around what to expect, what to prepare, what to do when, how to kind of sense what phase you're in, or even when your kid is born, what leap they're in at certain, in certain periods. Not to equate the two, right? Because they're very different. But if you think about it today, for a lot of people that are first-time pet parents, it is similar. People are putting off having kids. Their pets are their kids in the first kind of foray into being responsible for a living, breathing thing. And there isn't that support network. And so they feel like they're going it alone. And for us, it really kind of shone light on there are these moments of high anxiety, high stress, and they're really emotive points that if we can ensure that we provide folks with the advice that comes from a credible source with the information that can make them feel in control of the situation that they're in, 
and with a guide that can help them through the different stages of their pet parenting journey, then that just leads to a much lighter, happier, more enjoyable pet parenting journey as a whole. And that was really exciting for us to unpack and something we learned in the earliest days and something that we've stayed true to through the years of Fuzzy. So one of the big ahas, it sounds like, was that moment of bringing home your puppy or your adopted cat from the rescue place. You bring them home and you say, oh, gee, what do I do if something goes wrong? What kind of food do I feed them? Like it's kind of from the sublime to the ridiculous, right? What toys might they enjoy? But also she seems a little lethargic. I'm not sure what to do. And it's at that moment of new pet parent. Was that an aha that a good place to start the relationship was when they were starting their relationship with their pet? Or you said that there were other pain points along the way or moments where they might be looking for guidance or support, maybe beyond bringing Fido home. What we found were there, there were these common things that would happen at different stages of a pet's life. And for most pet parents, that was their first foray into experiencing that thing. Again, I'll go back to the analogy of kids. A toddler's behavior is different to a teenager's behavior or different to a 10-year-old's behavior. And so when they're experiencing or going through that phase of their life, that is something that you as a pet parent may be experiencing for the first time. Similar thing happens with pets. What happens at the puppy phase when they are playful, have high energy, it's a grueling part of the journey, potty training, etc. That's a different set of challenges to, oh, my pet's two years old. How do I feed them and care for them and make sure that their health is just an autopilot versus at eight to 10 years old? Oh, now they're starting to have some issues around health, wellness, chronic conditions, mobility. What do I do? And so what we identified was that there were these acute moments, these pain points that created enough stress and anxiety that pet parents were looking for solutions and those solutions weren't available to them. And we could insert ourselves in the journey at that point to be able to be seen as a credible source for information for the pet parent, to help them recognize that what they were experiencing, they weren't alone. What they were experiencing, it was something that is fairly common and that there are ways to be able to navigate through what they were experiencing and then help put them on a roadmap and a plan to be able to feel like they were more in control. That was the most important thing that we recognized was that for most pet parents, they just felt like they didn't have control. As a pet parent, I've had this. There's nothing more stressful than rushing your pet into an emergency vet clinic at midnight and maybe there's blood, maybe they're not behaving correctly, maybe they're having a seizure, but you feel totally lost and out of control. And there's no place to turn to to get a sense of, well, what is actually going on right now? And so they need the security blanket. They feel like they want more control and that can give them the confidence to be able to make the right decisions. Yeah. What is really, I think, important about what you said and the approach that you took in those early days is understanding the full journey of the pet parent and the pet and identifying those, as you described, those acute pain points. And it enabled you, I think, to design an experience that almost allowed you to help them see around corners, right? Like you said, for them, this feels like they're going in blind and I don't know what's going to happen. This puppy, is it going to be super high energy and destroying my furniture forever? And you could say, no, that's actually going to last for X number of months. And then the next problem is going to be something different. And having that knowledge and being with them for the journey, as opposed to just the acute pain point, I think the hallmarks of membership subscription business models, right? It's that focus on the whole journey 
and not just the emergency vet, let's get them at midnight, let's charge them a lot of money because they are freaking out and their dog is not doing well. Your approach is much more, we're going to be with you the whole journey. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key components and one of the things that we've continued to think about as relates to a subscription business is that what is key in a subscription business for us, we recognize, was that you're delivering value on an ongoing basis. And you may capture someone at that really acute point. And at that point, you can be incredibly valuable to them. But unless you're finding moments to be able to continue delivering value to them on an ongoing basis... Through doing that, that's how you warrant and validate them continuing to pay you as a member and building that longer term relationship. So acquisition benefit, what brings them through the door? And these are those acute moments. I just got my pet and I want to be a responsible pet parent. My pet had an acute incident and I don't ever want to be alone when that happens again. But then what happens in between is really important to balance those two kinds of benefits when you're designing your offer. I'm realizing we haven't really described the fuzzy membership and what it includes. Could you just describe what Fuzzy is and what people get if they went to your site today? What is it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's evolved a lot since the earliest days when you and I first met. In today's world, a Fuzzy membership involves an annual membership that gives you unlimited access to a licensed veterinary care team for acute care support, but ongoing advice and guidance around your pet parenting journey. So Let's say as an example, to kind of coin what you've just said, or speak to what you mentioned around, we acquire points uh, customers at points of acute need. So typically we'll have a customer come in when their dog has diarrhea or their cat isn't eating or drinking or urinating, which is actually pretty dangerous, or their pet's exhibiting some strange behavior or has an illness. They come in at a really emotive, very stressful state of mind and we can help them navigate through what the symptoms are. We can help them triage that. In many instances, can help diagnose what the concern is and then help them figure out what the best course of action is. Sometimes that course of action can be care from home. Sometimes that can be an over-the-counter treatment. Sometimes that can be a prescription medication that can be provided. Sometimes, because you can't manage all care virtually, sometimes it involves us referring someone into a physical veterinary clinic where a vet needs to get their hands on a pet. But the pet parent feels confident about them understanding what the concern, what the symptoms are, and what their the appropriate course of action is. So our annual membership means that folks get immediate access in less than two minutes to a team of licensed veterinary professionals. We can address for their acute care needs, but we then also accumulate and basically aggregate all of their pet's medical history, all of their pet's data, all of their information to then create a care plan and program specifically tailored to that pet for longevity and the best quality of life. And so what that entails is you may come in for an acute need, but we're then providing you as a pet parent a guide on how you can care for your pet on a daily, weekly basis, what to feed them, how to care for them, what their activity plan should be, how to manage things like behavior concerns, how to manage things like stress and anxiety, how to prepare for different stages of life. If your pet's going to a senior stage or how to prepare for a sudden concerns that could be breed specific or based on their medical history. So really understanding where you are as a pet parent in the life stage of your pet and how to prepare for each ongoing life stage. And, and so the fuzzy membership gives you access to acute care, gives you preventive care or care plans that helps you guide through that journey. And then it, we also give you access to medications and supplements and food 
that are tailored to your pet through our store. Yeah. So the offering, you mentioned it, it's evolved since you launched. And one of the things that has evolved, which I find really interesting and actually very clever, when you launched, a lot of it was in person. The vets came to your home. I remember having a vet come to our house to see our dog, Mona. And it was great because huge time saver, so convenient, so personal. Our dog wasn't stressed having to be in the car and having to be a vet with all the other animals and all of that. So in these early days, you had vets going into homes, you and Eric hanging out at neighborhood fairs and dog parks at six in the morning, not super sustainable, but a really, really great way to get close to your customer and to learn a tremendous amount about their needs and their preferences. I'm wondering, at what point did you decide that it was time to kind of flip the switch and begin investing more in sort of digital scaling? Yeah. So we ran the in-home care business for a couple of years in San Francisco and saw really exciting signals and success. And off the back of that success, we expanded, we opened up an operation in New York as well. And what became really clear to us after we expanded into New York was there were two things. On the one hand, customers absolutely loved the service. The NPS was through the roof. Retention was incredibly high. Once they had that experience of a doctor showing up on their doorstep and giving them basic veterinary care, they were absolutely thrilled. And it was a complete shift from the experience of spending hours in a waiting room. But the other part that was really clear to us was operationally running that business was incredibly complex and very expensive. And what we realized was for Eric and myself, we'd always had this vision where that forever promise that we wanted to make to pet parents about being their guide and their partner through every stage of their pet's life. We wanted to ensure that that was available to every pet parent. And what we didn't want to do is have it be a luxury service that was only available to the select few in certain cities. and we realized that after expanding to New York, it was going to take us a ton of time and also a ton of capital. And it wasn't really going to address for the access to care that we really wanted to solve for. And so we realized that there are 96 million households in this country with a pet. And we realized that for many of those households, the challenge of getting access to care, the logistics around, to your point, having your pet, putting your pet in a car, having them be stressed and anxious about going into a veterinary clinic, et cetera, that didn't really achieve the goal that we wanted to. And at the same time, we also recognized that in many instances, when a vet needs to get their hands on a pet, many instances there, you're looking for advanced diagnostics and advanced level of care that you actually want to be delivering in a vet clinic setting. We're really clear that all primary care, all preventive care, all kind of rudimentary care that can really have the highest level of impact on the longevity of a pet could be done virtually. And so in early 2020, this is ahead of COVID, we shifted our business entirely to being a digital first virtual veterinary clinic. And we were incredibly lucky. It was also a very fortunate decision that we made at the right time. Yeah. What are the metrics that you've used before and after that time that tell you when you're doing well? What are the metrics? that have been important for running the business and also for demonstrating the effectiveness of the business to the outside world, to your investors and board and so on. I mentioned NPS earlier. and Net promoter score. Net promoter score. Net promoter system. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was something that we looked to. Retention, customer acquisition, cost, LTV. Those three lifetime, metrics. Lifetime, lifetime value. value. Yeah. Sorry for the acronyms. <laughs> Those three metrics for us were really key in... Which ones? Wait. Cost of acquisition, customer lifetime acquisition. value, retention, Those three. NPS. Yeah. NPS is great measure, but those three are the key kind of business health metrics. But then you also have certain metrics, especially for retention, for instance, when you have annual memberships, where we shifted a large percentage of our business from monthly memberships to annual memberships. We then realized that, remember I mentioned earlier that you want to be sure that you're delivering value on an ongoing basis to ensure that people are going to continue paying you and stick around. When you have an annual membership, you have limited signals as to whether people are going to stick around or not. And so for us, we recognize that engagement was a key measurement there as a proxy to retention on an annual basis. And so over the course of the last two years, engagement has suddenly stood out as a key measurement for us. Are people engaging with our platform and our veteran team or just our tools or the tools that we make available to them regular enough basis? And that translates to us delivering value to them that warrants them sticking around and continuing to being a member. Yeah, really interesting point that you make about those initial metrics, the cat, the cost of acquisition, the lifetime value and retention churn numbers and how over time that engagement metric became increasingly important and I think you're absolutely right that it is a super important leading indicator of churn. If people aren't engaging, they're pretty likely to cancel and may have just not gotten around to it or they may be aspirational and hoping that tomorrow they need it, but they're not happy. They're not feeling like they're getting value. And you mentioned the engagement metric of actually interacting with your live team, but also the creation of always available tools. You're really thinking hard about how do you layer in more engagement benefits? That's part of the evolution that I mentioned to you. What we realized was that there's a lot of value in making a licensed professional available to a pet parent, and they certainly perceive that value. But at the same time, there's a cognitive load in having a P2P person-to-person interaction. And so what we found is when sometimes, similar to whether you go into the veterinary clinic, the majority of veterinary clinic visits happen when a problem that a pet parent has been aware of for a reasonable amount of time has gone to a point of escalation that leads to them going into the vet clinic. And similarly, with our telehealth service, someone may recognize, oh, my dog didn't really eat their food today, or there's a little bit of diarrhea. And what happens is they will wait a week to two weeks before reaching out and initiating a consult. Now, in most instances, that's totally fine. But there's certain instances where that can be a challenge and can actually be dangerous to pets' health. And so what we identify- Like if they don't drink enough water, right? If your dog stops drinking water, isn't that like yeah. a big flag, right? Yeah. Don't wait a week. Don't wait a week. The biggest flag that I've learned, I don't have cats. I've never been a cat parent, but a cat not urinating, huge red flag. It could lead to crystallization in the bladder, which could be fatal if not treated and if not caught soon enough. Coincidentally, that was one of the big challenges that my co-founder Eric had with his cat, which got him excited about starting this business in the first place. Treatment for that for his cat cost $5,000. And so the premise behind Fuzzy is that we lower the barriers to get people in front of a licensed veteran professional so they get to tackle these things early so that we set them up for a longer, healthier life for their pets. And so as we've continued to evolve this service offering and our value proposition, it's creating these additional tools, additional instruments of value that we can deliver to the pet parent on an ongoing basis 
we make med records available within our app where we don't ask the pet parent to go through any work apart from telling us any vet clinic that they've taken their pet to. And we go out and call all those medical records and put them in our app for the pet parents to then be able to show that to an airline when they're traveling, to a border when they're going away on holiday and leaving their pet at a border, or a groomer, and just having that information available and easily accessible. Similarly, with kind of asynchronous care, and we have this concept of a care coordinator team now, where you can communicate with that team asynchronously. So you don't need to start a message interaction and then be there live and engaged all the way through, but you can do it and have fuzzy fit into your routine. So those are certainly things that we continue to look to evolve, to innovate around how we can be ever present, how we can be available to pet parents on an ongoing basis and ensure that we increase the spheres of influence that we have on when we can deliver value to pet parents. Yeah, super interesting on a bunch of different levels. One of the things that comes to mind, you opened by talking about kind of the similarities between a pet and a child. I think about my own medical care and all of the innovation that is happening in the world of direct-to-consumer healthcare and telehealth. And I wonder to what extent they're learning from you or you're learning from them in terms of these elements, the combined records, the asynchronous chat or communication, the acute versus the ongoing. Yeah. If you look at the comparison between veterinary care and human health care, veterinary care as a practice is typically 20 to 30 years behind in terms of customer engagement, customer, and even innovation. I think that COVID was an accelerant for human health care in many instances as raised digital care. And I feel like what we've seen now is in many instances with human health care, most of the changes are driven by insurance companies. That's the payer dynamic that exists. In pet care, that isn't the case. The payer is the pet parent. Pet insurance is still very tiny in terms of adoption. And so what we're learning is that humans have become accustomed to certain care delivery mechanisms, certain innovations in human health care, and they're now getting to a place of demanding that as relates to their pets. And we are in a position where we get to learn from what's happened in human health care, translate that into veterinary care, But then there's some instances where we can go a lot further to your point around medical records. There is no such thing as HIPAA in veterinary care, as an example. So we can do a lot more. So we can go a lot further in capturing data, but then we can also use that data and make that data more actionable in leveraging that data to inform future care decisions. Right now, one of the challenges in human healthcare is that medical record data and information Firstly, we're still only getting to a place right now where that information is shared, and we're not really in a place where that information is actionable and folks are using that. There's certainly some human healthcare companies that are doing some really exciting work there. I think Forward is a really exciting example of that. We have some other IoT wearables companies that are starting to leverage data to inform better routines and focus on better health outcomes. And so all of those things are really exciting. I also think that in human healthcare, the size of the prize is huge. I believe that we've witnessed the digitization of human healthcare and what started off in acute care, so coughs, sneezes, ear infections, eye infections with doctor on demand and teledoc, has since shifted to address for chronic care, preventive care, specialist care, et cetera. And I believe that we're looking at north of a trillion dollars of spend going towards digital health in the next year. And so there's a lot of innovation that is happening there. So in pet, it's still very early, still very nascent, but we get really excited about what the opportunities are. And we think that 
we've got a head start in some ways, but it's also really exciting to be able to lean into some of the learnings that we have from human healthcare. Yeah, lots of room for pet health. And uh, for people who are interested in human health and subscriptions, we've had Joanna Strober, founder of MIDI, for health for women at midlife and menopause. We've had Whoop wearable, you mentioned. And we had from, from 30 Madison, which has a whole series of brands around different chronic health issues, ranging from gastrointestinal issues to hair loss to allergies. So super active space, really interesting, great potential. And I think in all of these areas, the power of subscription really hasn't been fully utilized. This knowing the patient, both when they're in an acute stage and also as they learn about their conditions and best practices and, and take care of prevention as well as finding cures when they're really sick. So I wanted to change gears a little bit and talk to you as a business leader. I think there's always pressure on a founder between kind of growth and profitability. And of course, I'm sure your investors would like both at all times. How do you think about those? You haven't even talked really about profitability. You've really focused on acquisition, engagement, retention. You've talked about lifetime value. How do you think about when is the right time for a founder to start thinking about profitability, particularly in a recurring revenue business? And how do you manage your board? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I haven't spoken about profitability explicitly, but actually I spoke about operational complexity when I was talking about our in-home care business. And I mentioned that running that business is really expensive. And that was one of the key realizations. We got into a certain scale and then recognized that, sure, we can continue growing the business, but launching in new cities, moving bets from point A to point B was going to be expensive. And so the profit profile of that business was challenging. And kind of as we think about, as we thought about scaling that business, we recognized that it actually wasn't the most sustainable business that we wanted to build. As we've shifted to being a virtual first business, that completely shifted. And so we went from having a business where you're looking at 20 to 30% gross margin when you're moving vets from point A to point B. Most veteran clinics actually are running from about the same amount to a virtual business where you can basically be operating at software type margin. If you're running that business efficiently, which we learned from our previous experience, it could actually create... I'm sorry, your previous... Can you just say a word about your previous experience for listeners? The previous experience of running the in-home care business, that experience of understanding and recognizing the operational complexities and optimizing for profitability or needing to optimize for profitability led us to be really laser focused on that in this business moving forward. And so how do we manage our board? I think this really depends on time. I think if you look at, and actually a lot of the thinking that we had around 2019, 2020, when we were thinking about shutting down our in-home care business coincided with some macro shifts that were taking place, right? There are a number of companies that were either going public or planning to go public at the time that had questionable or challenging unit economics from a gross margin profile. And so investor sentiment shifted very quickly. And as that investor sentiment shifted, it obviously then led to a number of founders having to think more clearly and sharpen the pencils around how we had to run our businesses. Similarly, if you then kind of move a year beyond that, 2020, 2021, everyone was in a growth mode and it was growth at all costs in many instances. And a lot of businesses weren't really thinking about profitability, but it really was how quickly can we grow? How quickly can we deploy capital to grow and be able to take the damn market as much as we could? 
I think we got to a place where in the last 12 months or so, that has suddenly shifted. I think we were really fortunate in that we had that prior experience that led to us being a bit more measured around how we thought about growth. And we were fortunate enough to be in a position where our margins and profitability were in a good place. But then really it comes down to kind of staying ahead of the curve, communicating frequently and often with your investors and your board, getting an understanding from them around what they're seeing and what trends they're witnessing so that you may be able to year it a few months ahead of podcasts and Twitter threads and Twitter storms, et cetera, but you year it directly from your board and you can then calibrate around how you're running your business and what your board communications and board meeting discussion topics need to be sensitive around. This is great. I think we're running to the end of our time, but I'm wondering if you'd be up for a quick speed round before we close out. Okay. First question, your first subscription that you ever had. It was probably a cricket magazine membership. Oh, love cricket magazine. <laughs> Favorite subscription that you use today besides Fuzzy? Oh, my fitness membership. I use Tonal. Tonal. Craziest pet emergency you've heard about in your time at Fuzzy? I'll give you two. One was a dog ingesting LSD and the other was a dog ingesting a whole duck. A whole duck. Yeah. Wow. Your favorite pet name other than your own pet's name? I believe that one of our members has a pet that's called Maximus Reginald III. Oh, that's very fancy. Yeah. And then finally, advice for subscription entrepreneurs. One of the learnings that we have is that there's certain value props that fit into a subscription model. There's some that don't. And understanding whether your model does fit into a subscription membership or not is really important as a first step. And the business model around having a subscription business is very compelling and appealing, but does the product and service that you offer really lend itself to being a subscription business? And not every business can be a subscription business, even though we have seen a lot of businesses transition and shift and experiment into being subscription businesses over the course of the last five to 10 years. You've spoken about that more than most people I know. I think that's something that's really important to note. And then understanding what the unit economics are around what that business model can and should look like and architecting around that. The last, probably the most important point for me, and we didn't know and understand this in the earliest days, but know the customer and know the customer need and know the customer pain point so that you're actually solving for the right problem rather than solving for something that in your mind could be a solution for a problem that may not necessarily exist. Yeah. Great advice. On that note, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us on subscription stories and for sharing your journey in the world of subscriptions and just really appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you for all of your support through the years too, Robbie. Been a pleasure. That was Zubin Bete, CEO and co-founder of Fuzzy. For more about Zubin and to learn how to become a fuzzy pet parent, go to fuzzy.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Zubin, go to RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Zubin and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. Reviews are how listeners find our podcast, and we appreciate each one. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.